0: Glory to God, God is only good, He smiles of our lives, He loves us, He cares for us and He has taken the the responsibility to bring forth His life in us on His shoulders and He brings it forth by the Holy Spirit in our lives wherein He is convincing us of His faithfulness to to the original plan to share His life with us. To those of you that watch our web church regularly, you will know that God's plan, the reason why He made you, was to share His life with you. That you can actually feel what it feels like to be like Him, or to actually just share in His life. And this is what it's all about. If we have got that point as the point of departure, then we can easily fit the good news and what is said in the Gospels into that frame. And we will see that this message is designed and is born out of a love relationship with us wherein God's dream was to have people in His image to be His likeness, the very image of God in the earth, wherein the fullness of God dwells bodily, wherein we can feel His emotions, and actually have that live inside us, where there would be other people um, where we can actually express what is inside us towards, amen, where we can see the effect of love on others and on this universe. That is what this whole message is all about. It's about a good God that loves us, that cares for us, that is for us. Now we are in a series where I've been talking about, we've had many Sundays, last Sunday we didn't have a service but the Sundays before that I was talking about the fulfillment of the law and now we're going to continue with that but I want to go and look at the effect of not accepting the good news on a person's heart. And we're going to read that from Romans chapter 9. Things wherein um, Paul wrote and he said that God hardened the heart of Pharaoh where it is said that God just hated uh, Esau and all of those things. And we're going to look at what is being said there. We're going to look at the dangers. It might sound negative, but I want you to hear what I'm saying. We're going to look at the dangers of not seeking for mercy. If we are not looking for mercy on every page of the Bible, if we are not looking for mercy in our relationship with God, Mercy being, God bowing down and honoring us as his equal, wherein he loves us and cares for us, where he's got respect for us, where we've got deeds of compassion flowing from the very innermost being, the core of God towards us, treating us, blessing us with life eternally, free from our works if we're not looking for that, if we're not seeking for that it might be, I'm going to say might be, it will be that our hearts will be hardened towards God and that we would see the wrath of God or what is called the effect of not having mercy in our lives. So um, there are so many concepts in Christianity that we need to understand. Just in this first three, four minutes of this message you can pause this, go and listen again and say, God, you know, Bertie mentioned some concepts here, speak to me, and hear what God says to you about these different concepts, because there's so much truth in the resurrected Jesus, and who He is, and who God portrayed Himself to be in Christ, that we cannot dare to take any scripture and contradict the truth about who the Father is, Revealed in Jesus. What that means is that it doesn't help we take any passage in the Bible and we want to contradict the life of Christ with it. It is impossible uh, to, well, let me put this way, it's possible, but it is impossible to have a quality life and find scriptures and contradict the life of Jesus Christ with it. So I'm gonna look at Romans 3, and we're gonna pick it off with w- on what I spoke about. Uh, two weeks ago, and then we're going to go to uh, Galatians 4 a little bit and that I used in the Communion, and then to Romans chapter 9. It says, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid! Yes, we actually establish the law. So what it says is, is that the law talked about living by faith. That is what the law says. So if you read the law correctly, then you will come to the conclusion that you will simply have to believe God for, uh, and you'll have to believe that He will bring forth life in you by His ability, and that He will bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in you, and that He will then bring forth uh, the resurrection life and immortality inside you your children, the lo- loved ones around you, and so forth. It will be have to be something that you believe in your heart. That is what the law actually says. If you read the Old Testament correctly, you will see it's not about a Jewish nation. It is not about some form of an ethnic group. It's not about a physical temple. It's not about the Ten Commandments. It's not about any of those things that we should do it. It's not about people groups like Jews and Gentiles, it doesn't talk about that. The Old Testament law correctly interpreted even before Jesus came, if you could take the old law, have no veil in front of you, and read it for what God's original intent was in that passage, you will have to come to the bottom line conclusion that it is not about a people group, but it's about God loving humanity and Him doing everything to save humanity, to save people, to love upon them, to give them a brand new life, to manifest His life in them, and share His life with them, and to have a place where He can dwell and live with people, where we are the temple of God. Well, that's how Jesus read the Old. Jesus, when He read the Old, He said, break down this temple, and in three days I will rebuild it. So Jesus, when he read the Old, before the cross, before his death, he declared that the correct interpretation of scripture is that the physical temple spoke about his body. That the lamb that was slain spoke about him. That is what John declared. So if you read the Old and you read it in any form or fashion about Judaism or about any of those things, You're missing out. You're not seeing it for what it truly says. So the passage in Romans says that, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid we actually bring forth and manifest that which the law was all about. Amen. Now that brings peace to my heart. Let me tell you why. It means that God didn't change anything that it was always his plan. It wasn't as if God in the Old Testament was a law-driven God, and now in the New is a love-driven God. It is a God that had a love story from the beginning. And he was reaching out to blind people. And he was trying to show blind people and to unveil their minds to show to them who he truly was. Now when I was, um, you know, at the funeral, my mom's funeral, (coughs) I could say, the people there, that it wasn't God that came and took my mom's life. It wasn't God that was um, punishing my father because he missed two, two Sunday services or something like that. It wasn't God taking her life. What happened was, the good God, the good God from the beginning, the God that promised his life from the fall of Adam and Eve who even before the fall made his life available as the only life and when the fall came we saw how what he promised from the beginning which was that my life is available for you we can see how doesn't matter what the circumstances he always sticks to his original love for man and now makes his life available maybe in a different form or however it's needed in the situation wherein man is. And in this case, the case of mansoning, he came to a cross, died, was raised again. And so the life where where he said, eat of the tree of life, was shown. That was the only way. It was like that before the world... uh, um, (coughs) <coughs> the world came to fall, before the world system was introduced through Adam and Eve in our relationship with God. And now, even after man came, and so that same God shows forth his love to humanity in Jesus. That truth is now just manifested in this form. It's like me saying to my son, I love you. And then, um, and then I, I, I make a meal and I, I put a meal from the table and I said, come and sit and eat with me, my son. And as he, and on the way, when he's on his way, maybe from the shop, on the way here, he might be in an accident. And then that love that I had in, or that I have, in preparing the meal for him, is now revealed in what he needs today. And that is, if he was an accident, I would race there, or i do whatever I want, uh, spend whatever money I have, pray, get him to be well again. So the love that I had that I have for him in a healthy relationship is shown in sharing in a meal. When he is um, away from home, it might be shown in telephone calls. When he's in the motor accident, it might be shown in me rushing towards that. So in the very same way, Jesus, from, or God the Father, from before time, he said, I'm, I'm good to you, I love you, and my life is the only life whereby you can have and share in my quality of life and when Adam Cindy showed that forth again now I could say that God in his love comes, he grants life to man, man becomes, man lives on this earth and while he's on this earth he comes and he says from the beginning your life is secure in my hands let me take care of your life When my mom or anybody who passes away, when their body cannot contain that life anymore, then that life is now in the very hands of God. And God will then prepare a body through the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that what he has promised from the beginning can then manifest. So um, if someone passes away, your life, and he believes in the Lord, your life is safe in the hands of God. Because your life is not in your own hands. You're not saying, I'm taking the responsibility to preserve my life. I'm taking the responsibility to see that my life will exist forever and be forever. No, you are saying, God, I cannot preserve my life. By my own ability, I cannot even reach 120 or 130 (coughs) years uh, on this earth. I cannot preserve this life, but I see that you have conquered my sin, you have conquered my death, and my life is in your hands. And that's exactly what Jesus did when he died. He said, Father, into your hands do I give my spirit. And the very life that was animated in that human body was then in the hands of God. What did God do? God went and he recreated or raised that body up to be an even better body, a body that can house the very life God grants to, granted to Jesus and then Jesus came forth immortal in a human body and that is the same God, the, the, the God of Jesus, w- the father of Jesus when he was born from Mary and had a corruptible body, that's, that same God is the God of Jesus in his resurrected body, is the same God from the beginning and that's why it says here that through faith we actually establish the law that God had in mind from the beginning and that law is you trust me and I give you life. Amen. Then Galatians 4 says that as long as what we are under the law now now it sounds a bit contradicts you, but now he's talking about the way wherein the Jews were looking at the law. It says if you buy your obedience to the law, want to have life, your life cannot be called the life of God. It is the life of your ability. It is your ability animated by looking at rules and regulations. You are actually seeing in manifestation the works of yourself. That is what it is. And now God comes and He says, man, let me I want you to get out under that thing where you try to manifest life and bring forth life, and I will be your life. That is what he says. He says there, he came to redeem them that were under the law. Why? That they might receive the adoption of sons. In other words, he says, I want to take you out from under the law where you, where the life you live is the son of your ability. You see, when you live under the law, the light that comes forth (coughs) is not, you cannot say, God is the father of that life. You have to conclude that your own ability is the father of that life. That's what you have to say. And then you're actually looking at yourself, your own ability. You're not looking at God living in you. You're looking at the end of your intelligence. You're looking at the end of your willpower. You're looking at the end of of what you can bring forth. And since you are not eternal or immortal in your own power, you can only bring forth that which is temporal, which will pass away, which will die away. Amen. Glory to God. Now, we we need to understand that and see that. That's why he says that he wanted to redeem man from being under tutors and governors but actually bring them unto what is dreamt from the beginning or to bring what the Lord talks about which was Jesus his death and resurrection where we can just rest in him you want to bring that into manifestation why that we can now be at the point where we say the thoughts I have the love I have the compassion I have the good that's in me as well as the eternal life I am now possessing since i believed upon the Lord, is all on account of God bringing it forth, wherein we are now adopted into sonship, wherein God is the Father of the good that is in us. I've said it many times. So many times we think that the end goal of the Christian life is simply doing good. But that's not the end goal. Because if doing good is the end goal, we can go to many different religions and we can find people that do good. But the idea is not for you to do good, the idea is for God to bring forth good in you, wherein He is the Father of the good. And since He is the only eternal, immortal, loving God, the fruit that's in you will be eternal, immortal, born in love from God. Amen. And that is what this whole Christian thing is all about. Now, let's go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. It says, I'm just going to go through this verse by verse. The key verse that I want to get into is um, verse 16. This is what verse 16 says. Let me just read verse 16 there. It says, so then it is not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. So it's not of him that wills, nor of him that runs, but of God that shows mercy. Now, with that in mind, we're going to read from verse 1. It says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed for Christ, for Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So what he's actually saying there is, that his heart is heavy for the Jewish people. He's going through a difficult time because he's looking at his own people and they're not wanting to believe it. I think, I've I've felt this many times, you know, when I think of the time when I was in school, the time when I was in university, especially the time in school, primary school, my friends there. If I think of what the Lord has revealed to me and how this gospel has changed my life, and I go and I look at those friends and I see how Now I'm seeing much more, but if I look at about five years ago, I would look at all of them and I would say, these are my people. They're the people that I grew up with. They're the people that I love. And I find that they're not grabbing a hold of the message of grace. And I see the destruction and I see the pain in their lives. I see the emptiness that is manifesting there, not from a judgmental perspective, but just simply from, um, you can just see what's happening. It's a manifestation thing. And you, you want them, you want to remove that pain from them. And this is what he's actually saying in verse 3. I wish that I could be cursed and they be blessed. Now, he's actually talking about Christ's redemptive work wherein he became a curse so that others could be blessed. So what he's saying is, I want to do anything to get them out of this. That's just what he's saying. Verse 4. Who are, uh, these people are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, in other words, this adoption, doesn't talk about the adoption that we have as Christians. This adoption simply means where they were adopted as a people group to show forth the love of God and what God would accomplish in Jesus Christ. That happened when uh, God said to to Pharaoh, we could see it there, well from Abraham, you know, and especially manifested when he spoke to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go, wherein these were adopted as the people of God. That adoption does not talk about the adoption we are talking about in the New Testament. We need to understand that. Okay, then it goes on, it says, and the giving of the law, so it says, they were called the people of God, the, uh, uh, sorry, verse 4, let me read it again, Um, to whom pertain the adoption, I've explained that, and the glory, the glory talks about God appearing on the mountain and and, and having a, a, a conversation with Moses and the people, the covenants, In other words, all the old covenants from Abraham, Mosaic and so forth, we we look at all those covenants that they had was towards those people and the giving of the law, talking about Ten Commandments, the services of God and the promises. So to these people were the promises that were made to everybody, given so that they they would be the carriers of of these promises so that the world could see the love of God. Talks about these, these Jewish people who are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all God-blessed forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God had taken no effect, for they are not Israel, which are of Israel. Now Paul comes and he says, listen man, not all the, the fact that you are a Jew doesn't mean, or the fact that you are a physical Israelite doesn't mean you are called the Israel of God. Okay goes on in verse 7. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. Now he's coming and he's bringing something very powerful here. He comes and he says, listen, the, the whole thing about a physical Israel, the Jewish, physical Jewish nation, and all those kind of things is not what it's all about. Because if we look at physical Israel, we have to come to a point where we say God has failed. But then he says, but bless God, not all that are of Israel are Israelites. And he comes and he brings something brand new here to the Jewish mind, which by them would be called blasphemy and would be called a contradiction of all scripture. But what he's is saying is, what makes you an Israelite, what makes you a child of God, is not your ethnicity, neither your obedience to the law, but something completely different. And he says that trying to think that you have to live by the law is a cursed life. And I wish that I could basically do what Christ has done and become a curse for my own people so that they can be free. But since Christ has already done that, I'm just going to preach the gospel. That's what Paul basically says. In verse 8, this is, they which are the children of the flesh, those are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So what he says here is that the physical people, the physical Jewish people are not counted as the children of God. Now I can immediately hear some people uh, clicking end of the message. I don't want to listen any further, anti-Semitic, any of those things. This is not anti-Semitic. This is a message that can bring forth the power of God, the fruit of the Spirit inside you. And I want to say this. If you right now say, <clears throat> let me switch this off. It's already speaking of the first fruit of the hardening of the heart that Pharaoh had. Now I want you to hear me out and hear what I'm saying because the reason why I teach this is because we've had this idea that God just came and hardened Pharaoh's heart because he's just God Almighty. That's not the truth. <laughs> okay, we're going to look at how the hardening of the heart happens. We're going to look at how God hardened pharaoh's heart what happened there so here it comes and he says listen i want to say to you that to the jewish people were given the law were given everything that god wanted to say to the people but they couldn't attain unto this law and if you just look at the legalistic way of looking at the law you will find that they have failed but god has has not failed in giving this to these people because the Israel that God had in mind is not a physical nation but it is people who believe and trust in Him who can actually say it is not by my works but by God that promised Amen Listen to this Not as though the word of God had no effect for they are not all Israel which are of Israel Neither, because they are the seed of Abraham, are they children. Now what does Paul say? It means that doesn't, you cannot call yourself a child of God, or a son of God, because you have Abraham as your father. That is what John said, John said that God from these stones can bring forth. Unto Abraham, and you think that you boast in being children of Abraham, that just means nothing. We just find that uh, 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 confirmation right here. Verse 8: That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise: At this time will I come, and Sarah will have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one even our father Isaac, for the children, being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand, and not works, but of him that calls. Do you see what he's saying here? He's saying that sonship is not found in obedience to commandments. But what the law is actually saying is that God is promising blessing. And we can find that God made a promise to Abraham and then Isaac was born. And in Isaac we find these people were blessed. But it was not in the physicality of it, but it was in the fact that God made a promise and kept to his promise. That is what it's all about, and this is what Paul is driving at. Paul is driving at the resurrection. He's driving at the promise that we have in the fact that Jesus conquered sin and death, and he is actually saying that the children of God are those people who are born out of the promise, meaning those who believe the promise and has in God that would fulfill the promise these are the children of God now what I what I mean by that is these people their lives are born from God so as long as what you are legalistic as long as what you're under the law as long as what you are seeking justification by works as long as what you seek peace and comfort and a stable future by obedience to principles and commands and all those kind of things I want to tell you, you cannot make the claim that the good fruit coming forth in your life and the good you do by obeying those commands has its origin of God. That is what it's saying. It must be by promise. That means whatever you need in life, whatever thing, be it a healthy marriage, be it a good relationship with your children, you have to take it from the perspective of the promise that is revealed as unto you, fulfilled in the resurrected Jesus, manifested by the Holy Spirit in you, or you're going to have nothing. Let me make it very practical. Uh, this We're not going to have uh, Sunday services for basically the rest of uh, this year. And the reason for that is, we would have had, but um, the reason for that is, my son and I, we are going on a trip to Zambia, where I'm going to visit eight churches in in Zambia, and my son is finishing school. It's his, basically his last year in the house. (coughs) Next year he's going to go to Brazil if everything works out well. For about nine months he's going to come back, start his own business and so forth. Might be going to America, we don't know. We will see. But this is the last time I'm having him in the house. (coughs) And what we're going to do is, I'm going to take my motorbike, and I'm going to spend some quality time with my son. And we're going to go up here, and it's about a four day, five day drive there and we're going to preach there for five days and then we're going to have another four, five day drive back. If I must come and think by that I'm going to have and by doing this I am ensuring a good relationship with my son I'm under the law. I'm trying to follow a principle and by this principle and my ability to do this principle I am now having, uh, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking, I'm going to bring forth a good relationship with my son. You know, that is not true. I found so many people going on vacation with a family, but they fight through the whole vacation. There's no blessing on that thing. It is, it, it is the works of man. There are expectations, people don't meet the expectations, then the other one is upset, and so forth. And then the whole vacation was a mess, uh, the trip was a mess, nothing works. So what I'm doing, practically in my relationship with my son is, I'm saying <coughs> and I'm declaring God to be the father of my relationship with my son. And I'm declaring that God is the father of his life. Now there, there can be, in many people's relationships, areas where it's not like that. I would say 100% in all my relationships, or let me put it this way, Um, In all relationships, some form of a percentage, be it just 1% or whatever, there is some legalism and law in that, which is a works-driven thing, wherein God will work at things. And so, in all of our relationships, there's certain things where we want to work principles. But, as we realize this truth, and we start to find the promise of union in family, we start to find the promise or the confident expectation of what can come forth, In our union with God, in the unity there is between God the Father and Jesus Christ, we cannot come to the bottom line conclusion that those who rest upon the Lord and rest in this good news, God brings forth that life that's supposed to be there. So as I go on this trip, I don't go on this trip to think that this trip will get my son ready for uh, for the big world out there. It's not going to work like that. The only thing that can prepare us over the, for a life in the big world, if you want to call it like that, is resting in God knowing that He has promised you the fruit of the Spirit, l- life in abundance in your heart. That is all. So, as I, as I take this practically, I cannot go and say, I'm now under tutors and governors, this is how you deal with your son. In the case of my mom passed away, this is how you deal with your sisters, this is how you deal with your father and all those things. I'm not even going to go there. I'm just going to go and say, well, what God has promised me is peace. And however this peace works out, I don't know. But that's what He has promised and that's how it works out. Financially, that's how I think about things. My relationship with my wife, that's how I think about it. I can stand and say that God has worked things out. This is what he's saying here. The Son is the one who is of promise. In other words, those whose lives are born out of what God has promised, they are counted to be sons. Anything other than that is not sons. Now, what that means doesn't mean you don't belong to God, doesn't mean you're a child of God, not a child of God, or anything like that. It just means that the life that comes forth in you The Father, that God is not the Father of that, but you are, or the situation you're in. For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. Verse 10, and not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calls. So what he says here, he says that while they were in the womb, the the twins were in the womb, God already chose uh, uh, Jacob above Esau. Now that might sound, oh that is so unfair and all of those things. The only thing that, and, and you can go and look how beautifully God also dealt with Esau. It's not as if God hated him as a person. We just see what Paul is trying to communicate here and the purpose of that whole thing and why it was written like that, the correct interpretation of that passage would be where it says God hated Esau and loved Jacob is simply this. Where does this come from? This comes from the womb. What does that mean? It means it's nothing he's done or it's not even about who he is, it is simply to show forth to us that blessing is not by our works. It is not the firstborn and the law and all those things, but what it is all about, it's simply about God choosing. So that we can come to a place where we see how God has chosen to bless us, and we can believe and embrace that. That's what it's all about. Now imagine Esau, if he sees that God has chosen Jacob, And he is the firstborn. The law says, I'm the firstborn. The law says this. The law says that. That is the custom. That is the tradition. Don't you think that the mercy of God towards Jacob would, should he not be seeking for that mercy, cause bitterness in his heart? It would. But if he was seeking for mercy, if he was saying, Man, I'm looking for God to be merciful. I'm believing in a merciful God. And where is the mercy of God? I want to see the mercy of God. When that happened, he would have celebrated. And he would have said, Hallelujah, glory to God. Look at the mercy of God. That mercy that is there is what I can believe on for myself. For my identity is not in what I inherit on this earth. Okay, let's go on. It was said um, unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it's written, Jacob have I loved, and Esau have I hated. So what it's actually saying, when he says, the the one I've loved, the other one I've hated, it is just, and that's why it says, as it is written, meaning, it's just saying the one will serve the other one. That's what what it means. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he said to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that wills nor of him that runs but of God that shows mercy. For the scripture says unto Pharaoh, For even for this same purpose have I raised thee up that I might show my power in you and that my name might be declared through all the earth. Therefore, Has he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will he hardens? You will say then unto me, Why does he yet find fault for who has resisted his will? No, but, O man, who are you that replies against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, Why hast thou made me thus? Has not the pot the power of the clay of the same lump to make one vessel of honor and another of dishonor? What if God, willing to show his wrath, and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessel of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory in the vessel of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory? And then I want to just read the uh, I think it's the last verse. The last uh, three verses. But Israel, which follows after the law of righteousness, has not attained unto the law of righteousness. Wherefore, because they have sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it's written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Do you see how the hardening works? I hope you could hear it as I read those verses. This is how the hardening works. The way hardening works is God lays a stumbling stone. What is the stumbling stone? The stumbling stone is defined as a stone whereby you would stumble should you reason from the law. Because what people that are under the law stumble over is mercy. So God has come and this is actually a very complicated way of saying this that God has raised up Pharaoh for the purpose of blessing Israel. You remember when Joseph came and he he came to the Pharaoh and that Pharaoh blessed Joseph and then, then there came a Pharaoh that didn't know God and didn't know Joseph. And what happened? That Pharaoh, not mindful of Joseph, became an oppressor. And the purpose of that Pharaoh, which was to bless the people of God, didn't show anymore and he was not looking at how to be merciful to the people of God. He was not a shower of mercy anymore. Then God came and he said, well I'm still a God of mercy so let my people go and then he saw how these people would have a promised land, how these people will be dealt with mercifully where by the law of the country there they didn't qualify and what happened was he stumbled over the stumbling stone and since he wasn't looking for mercy on where God would be merciful to people and then saw the mercy yet he was not looking for it it hardened him. And that's why we can say indirectly it was actually God that hardened him. You know it would be like if I If I go and and say to my kids, listen, I want to say to you, I'm a merciful dad. And if you're seeking me, seek for places of mercy. Seek, look for mercy. That's what you look for. Because if you're not looking for mercy and you're looking for the law, who I am will harden you. It will cause you to say, that's not right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Isn't it? That is what it will be. And that is how the hardening took place in Pharaoh. Why? In the same way as what the hardening took place in the heart of Israel. Why did they become hardened towards God? Why are they hardened? Why? Because they are reading the law not to find mercy in the law, but to find acts of obedience instead of God's acts of mercy. If you are looking for anything in the Bible, but God being merciful, justifying the ungodly, free from their works, if you're looking for anything else than that, you will see the goodness of God and it will offend you. It will harden you. Not because God decides, well, I want to harden you now. It's by God deciding, I don't care who believes it or not, but I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful, and blessed is he that is not offended because of me. Remember what, what Jesus said, those words to, to, um, to the messengers of John. And he said, go and tell John, the blind see the deaf hear, the kingdom of God is now manifesting in the earth, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because if you, and what is actually saying to him, if you, st- if you, John, are seeking for mercy, if you are seeking for mercy to flood the earth, this will bless you. But if you are seeking for justice, wherein the Gentiles must be become the slaves of the Jews and so forth, what they thought justice would be, the end of the Roman Empire and those kind of things, then you will be offended because, why? Jesus will be merciful to the very Gentile that you want to die. That will cause your heart to be hardened. So it's not a God that decides to harden It is a God that loves. It's a God that says, a God that says, I will be merciful to whomsoever I want to be merciful to. So I want to say this, and I want to end this off. The correct fulfillment of the law, if you read the law correctly, you must seek for mercy. If you read the story about Sodom and Gomorrah, seek for the mercy in the message the deeds of compassion that God has towards people. If you read about the flood, seek for mercy. If you read whatever verse, seek for the mercy of God and let the depth of your heart want the mercy of God. Imagine the older brother, if he was seeking for mercy, not mercy towards himself, seeking for places where mercy, seeking for the mercy of his father, in whatever form it manifests, if he would have heard that, he would have said, what what is that noise? You know, when he heard the noise of the party and everything, they say, your brother has come back and your father has, has slaughtered the fat calf. He would have said, hallelujah. I am seeing what I've been seeking for. I, And those to whom God is merciful, and those who seek the mercy and can behold the mercy and love on the mercy, the love that comes forth from from wanting to see mercy and seeing it, is called a life that's born from God. Amen. This whole book and everything it says, everything about the death and the resurrection, is all about God being gracious, Influential, God being merciful, stooping down, lifting us up, seeing us as his own, honoring us as his own, cleaning us up and giving us his kingdom as an inheritance. Amen. So, God didn't come and physically decide, well, I hardened this one out. No. There's a process where it works. And Paul explained that. If you are a mercy person, Blessed are the peacemaker. Why? Because th- they will receive mercy. Blessed are the merciful. Why? Because they're looking for mercy. they already on channel mercy. They will see God. <laughs> Amen. I hope you hear what I'm saying. Cursed are the legalists. Those who are born from legalism not because God curses them but because God moves on channel mercy and whenever they see mercy because they are seeking the justice of the law, I'm talking about uh, the wrong interpretation of the law now, a do's and don'ts justification. They will hate it when they see the mercy of God because the law is not of faith, it is not the law, we look, if we look at the wrong interpretation of the law or the Jewish interpretation of the law, it's not of faith, it's of works. But those who live by faith that God is a merciful God and will show mercy, their lives shall be shaped by God. Amen. I want to thank you so much for watching. It was a blessing for me to minister this message to you and I hope that it's really blessed you. Please remember that we are, um, I will have some messages that we'll put up on Sundays that I preached pre-recorded and that you guys can watch on Sundays as a family together and it's just good to know people are watching it together but one thing I want you to know is that we will not have (coughs) live webcasts until the end of December. In January we will start again with our live webcasts. I'm going away, I'm going to Zambia and on my way back I'm going to go to my dad's house that's what we are planning we'll see how it works out it might be that I'm back earlier it might not be because he's got a guest, a guest house, um, six, six uh, self-catering units and he's got people coming in and going and he needs some help, with my mom that's passed away so uh, I think it's going to work out that I'm going to help him there until the end of the month. So for those of you that are praying for me and my family, thank you so much. Also thank you for praying for just the time when my son and I, we're going to go be on the motorbike for about between five and six thousand kilometers going to be a fun time and where we're going to go to Zambia. We're going to enjoy it all the way there, enjoy it all the way back and preach the gospel, minister to the, to the poor in Zambia. So thank you for keeping us in your prayers. We love you and know that God loves you dearly. Amen. Amen.